It's October 15th, 2006, and this is the Privacy Podcast. Welcome to the Privacy Podcast. I'm Aaron Titus, podcasting sort of live from my closet. Would you consider yourself an internet expert? Most people understand that a cookie isn't something that you steal when your wife isn't looking, and somehow viruses don't make Mac sick. But during this podcast, I'll put you in the top 10% of people who actually understand how the internet works. Armed with this understanding, you'll be able to sort out the real and the bogus threats to your online privacy. For this podcast, you're going to need three things. A pencil, paper, and a computer with internet access. And a lighter is optional. Okay, grab your first piece of paper. Now, draw a bubble cloud. And write the word internet in the middle. Now, pick up your lighter and the piece of paper, and light the piece of paper on fire. And if you can't do that, then tear that piece of paper into tiny little bits. And repeat after me. The internet is not a fuzzy cloud. The whole fuzzy cloud picture was developed by a group of wannabe techies who were looking for job security by keeping the rest of us in the dark. Now, take your next piece of paper and draw a solid line on it. Now, write the word internet below it. There you go. That is the internet. No, no, really. That is the internet. The internet is an actual, real-life wire actually buried in the ground. It might be fiber optics or copper, but the internet is simply a wire. Okay, now you are smarter than 25% of your peers, which makes this an extremely efficient podcast. A server is a computer connected directly to the internet. Now, your computer is not a server at home. Servers have names, domain names to be specific, like google.com or yahoo.com or myspace.com, as well as a public IP address. The internet is cool because servers connected directly to the internet can communicate. Okay, so this isn't new for most of you, but since computers cannot speak English, when you type in google.com, your computer must rely on something called a domain name server, or DNS. A DNS controller is like a table of contents for the internet. Your computer asks the DNS controller, what is google.com? And the DNS controller answers with Google's IP address, namely 72.14.207.99. So go ahead, bring up your computer, and open up a browser and type 72.14.207.99 into your browser. And see, you end up at google.com. Ta-da! You now understand the fundamentals of DNS controllers, and you are now smarter than 50% of your peers. Okay, now bits, bytes, and kilobytes. Here is a quick refresher course in bits and bytes. One byte of information is the equivalent of a single typed ASCII character. So my name, Aaron Titus, is 11 bytes, including the space. A byte is made up of 8 bits. This doesn't really matter much anymore, except to internet service providers, who for some reason insist on measuring their download speeds in terms of bits, presumably because it appears 8 times faster than measuring bytes. Now if you remember from your middle school physics class, you probably learned that kilo means 1,000. So a kilobyte is 1,000 bytes, right? Well, not exactly. See, 1,000 is a power of 10, or 10 to the third power to be precise. Computers don't like powers of 10 very much. Because they are binary, they'd much prefer to use powers of 2. And since 2 to the 10th power 
is 1024, someone figured that it was close enough. So a kilobyte, or KB with a big B, is 1024 bytes. And you probably guessed that a megabyte isn't 1 million bytes either. It's actually 1024 times 1024 bytes, or 1,048,576 bytes. And the same for a gigabyte or even a terabyte. Now the math doesn't matter too much. Now that little tidbit puts you in the 75th percentile, easily. Finally, I want to talk about packets. Information travels over the internet in small chunks, called packets. Packets can be several kilobytes or just a few bytes. They're shuttled all over the internet by machines called routers. A router does simply that, route your packets from your computer to the target server and back. When you visit a website, upwards of 10 to 15 routers route packets between the server and your computer. Let me show you how this works. If you're running Windows, click Start and then Run. Now type CMD and click OK. A black DOS looking command line should pop up. Now type the following command, ping space google.com, and then press enter. You should get four replies from Google. Now type trace rt, that's t-r-a-c-e-r-t, space google.com, and press enter. Over the next few seconds, you will now see all of the routers your packets have to travel through in order to make it to Google and Mac. So pretty cool, huh? If you'd like, you can actually track down the geographic location of each of these routers based upon their IP address. Have you ever wondered how those packets find their way back to your exact computer and don't accidentally go to your neighbor? Imagine each packet like a piece of candy wrapped in several layers. The first layer is your computer's IP address. Then the packet goes through the first router, and the router adds its own wrapper, which is its own IP address. The packet goes through all of the routers, until it arrives at the server, in this case, google.com. Once the packet reaches the website server, the server returns a packet with an identical wrapping. As it makes its way through the series of routers back home, each one unwraps a layer to discover where to send the packet next, on and on until it reaches your computer. Well, congratulations. You are now smarter than about 90% of your peers. I posted an accreditation certificate online. You can follow the link print it out, and proudly hang it on your wall or cubicle. Okay, now that we've got Internet 101 out of the way, it's time to discuss Internet privacy. We've already covered privacy policies and junk mail in my last podcast. Now let's go on to cookies and web statistics. You've all heard of cookies, and most people have a vague idea of what they do. Whenever you surf the web, you broadcast your IP address. IP addresses are assigned roughly geographically, which means that website administrators can often track where you're surfing from within a few miles. The cookies and JavaScripts also collect information about your operating system, browser, visit length, and what URLs you visit. For most sites, like AaronTitus.net, Web stats are used to keep track of how many people visit, from what countries, and to make sure that my website works well on their screens. However, larger sites, especially search engines, leave a cookie on your computer that records your search history and stores it all in a profile in their databases for later analysis or distribution. As was demonstrated a few months ago when AOL posted many of its searches online, be careful what you search for. A simple search for someone's name and social security number may end up in the public domain someday. 
In addition, sometimes usernames or passwords can be passed in the URL, so keep that in mind because the URLs may also be stored or shared. Phishing. Now we've all heard of phishing. It's with a PH. Some inventive hackers will send out bulk email instructing you to visit a bank, PayPal, or eBay site to verify your account information. They direct you to an authentic-looking page, but as soon as you log in, they capture your username and password and can create some serious debt on your account. Some tips to avoid phishing. Number one, banks, PayPal, eBay, and the other big players never send out emails asking you to log in somewhere. Number two, question emails that you weren't expecting. Number three, if you visit a site, make sure that the full domain name, not just the IP address, appears in the address bar. Number four, make sure that the site is secure by looking for HTTPS in the URL. Number five, online never enter any personal information unless you see HTTPS and the domain name in the address bar, not just an IP address or a random string of characters. Viruses and spyware. Unless you're a Mac user, most of us have got viruses at one point or another. Here are some tips to avoid viruses. Number one, log into your computer with limited rights, not admin rights. That way, even if you accidentally open a virus, you don't have sufficient administrative rights to install it. Number two, don't open an attachment unless you were expecting it, even if it appears to be from a friend. Number three, virus checkers help, but are not foolproof. Number four, be smart about the sites you visit. Peer-to-peer -peer software programs, which have decreased in popularity in the last few years, are notorious for viruses. Nowadays, social networking sites such as MySpace.com can be prime grounds for viruses. Passwords. By far, the most common risk to passwords is not hacking. It's actually sociological hacking. Many information breaches are the result of observation and nosiness, not brute force hacking. I'll bet that at one point or another, you probably shared a PIN or a password with somebody else. Have you ever said your password out loud? Are your passwords easy to guess if someone knows you? During World War II, the U.S. atom bomb project at Los Alamos was issued safes to protect the nation's most heavily guarded secrets of the time. In his spare time, physicist Richard P. Feynman would sometimes try to break into these safes. He found that most of them were easy to break into because 80% of the combinations had not been changed from the factory default combination. Well, thanks for joining me. That does it for this episode, and I hope you've enjoyed. Before I go, here's this episode's privacy tip. Outsmarting Google. As I mentioned earlier, when you use search engines, they store your searches into an account that may, in some instances, be traceable back to you. To make life a little more difficult on search engine marketers, do the following. In Firefox, click Tools, then Options. Under the Privacy tab, click the Cookies sub-tab. You can selectively choose to reject cookies from particular sites or keep them only for the active session. Internet Explorer isn't as privacy-friendly, but you can enjoy similar cookie control by clicking Tools, then Options, then clicking the Privacy tab. Using a combination of the Sites and Advanced tabs, you can jerry-rig your cookie settings. The idea is that if you only have a cookie for the session, next time you visit, it'll have to issue you a new cookie, and it won't be able to trace you back to the previous search. Do you have a question about privacy or an idea for a show? Email me, privacy at errantitis.net. I'm online at www.errantitis.net slash privacy, and now on iTunes. Music today was Duct Tape by Smallfish, 
available online at podsafeaudio.com. Transcripts from this or any other show are available upon request. Sort of live and sleep-deprived from my closet, I'm Aaron Titus.